raise your hand. The book of Revelation. Let's pray before we begin. Lord, you say in your word that blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Lord, we believe that word, we believe that promise, we believe there's a blessing in this as we are in this prophecy. We we greatly, greatly desire, Lord, for you to stir up our hearts, to stir up our hearts so that, Lord, we would have that sense that the time is near. I pray that you'd give us understanding. I pray that I wouldn't be a hindrance what you want to teach and how you want to bless this body of believers. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So revelation, in the Greek, it means the unveiling, the unveiling. So no such thing that this is a closed book. You hear things like that from time to time. It's quite the opposite. It's an opening. It's an unveiling. And the outline of the book, we discussed this last week, verse 19, Jesus himself speaking to John Write the things which you have seen. And those would be the things that he has seen already in chapter 1. Oops. And the things which are, present tense, and that would be the current state of the church. Chapters 2 and 3 are going to address that. And the things which will take place after this. Same phrase as the beginning of Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, which says, after these things. It's a reference to the tribulation period, the time of the great tribulation, which is to occur immediately before Jesus' return. Now this was a subject, the subject of Jesus' return, which was a great, of great interest to the apostles. Right before he was taken up to heaven, says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he commanded the apostles not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, 
you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They immediately changed the subject and said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I'm getting some feedback here. Should I back up? Did Eric go? Eric, did you go? <laughs> Just wondering. I'm a little close to. Hello? Now I'm off completely. I'm on? Okay. We were just getting some feedback. And so they, they immediately change the subject and say, well, Lord, you know, when are you going to return? You know, are you going to return at this time? And, and so interestingly enough, the time between the Acts chapter 1 is written and Revelation chapter 2 is probably something like 50 or 60 years. So Jesus starts going into great detail. took him about 50 years to answer their question. So, and so he... Um, so that outline in, in, in verse 19 of chapter 1, the things which you have seen, and that's what he's seen up until this point... In Revelation chapter 1, and he, he saw some funky things. In verse 14 of chapter 1, uh, Jesus, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. Lord, do you really want me to write that down? Yeah, I do. Speaks of judgment and eyes that see. The things which are, meaning the present state of the church, and, and the... Um, the things with, which are, and we're going to get into those tonight, chapters two and uh, chapter two of, of Revelation, speaks of the time of the church. All, chapters two and three pertain directly. It's a message for the church today. But then he says, and the things which are to take place after this, meaning the time of the great tribulation. So, Sean, can we put up that timeline of Jesus' return? N- not that one. The uh, the other one. The second thing. That's that's what that was my all time favorite. But um, in the book of Revelation, I'm I'm going to put that to bed. I I sent a second email. Did you get a second email from me? The things that will take place after this, and so that is going to be the seven year period after the church is taken out, and again, the middle of 19, the things which are, uh, that's a period of time, the time of the church, church age, but then the last um, part there in verse 19, the things which will take place after this is the seven-year period, the period of the great tribulation, which the church is is gone. So um, chapter 2 It's that middle portion, the things which are. He's speaking to the churches. In verse 2, he says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Now, we know from the book of Acts, the church uh, at Ephesus was planted by the apostle Paul. 
And by this time, it was a strong, powerful church in many ways, a church of influence. To the angel, or you could say messenger of the church, a lot of people think this is referring to the pastor of the church of Ephesus. These things, says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstand. And remember, we, were, we saw that last week in uh, verse 20, the, the lampstands represents the churches. And, and what a blessing it is that Jesus is in our midst as a pastor, as, as someone who is involved in, and I walk in the midst of a lot of spiritual warfare, and all of us pay a price to, to teach the Word of God. We, we um, talked a lot about that at length this morning in Second Peter chapter 2. It's great to know that Jesus is in our midst. In fact, these chapters, the, one that we're, the ones we're going to read right now as much as any, wow, it's a... It's such a, a, an exhortation to my heart to not depart from the word of God. It says, he, um, it, it says again, these things says, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works. Your labor, your patience. And you cannot bear those who are evil. So it speaks of patience here. There were mockers at this time. And we read, again, we read about this this morning in Second Peter chapter 3, where Peter also talks about mockers. Where is the promise of his coming? Where is that? It's not happening. Come on, give me a break. And he's commending them for their patience, for their works, for their labor. The interesting thing about John, there was a rumor in the early church that John would be alive at the time that Jesus returned. And the reason for that is in John uh, chapter 21, and actually he clears it up there. We're in John chapter 21. Jesus tells Peter to follow me, and Peter, you know, at this point, which is much before, written much before First Peter uh, and Second Peter, Peter still had that foot and mouth disease. He said, well, what about this guy? What about this guy? He's pointing at John. What about this man? And Jesus said, if I will that he remain till I come, what is it that to you? You follow me. So some people took that. Well, that means that John's going to be there. He's still going to be alive. But he, John himself clears it up. He didn't say that I definitely will be here. He said, if I will, that he remain till I come. 
what is that to you? And uh, interesting here that John himself was patiently waiting as well. Now we know that John was going to die before Jesus returned because he did eventually die of natural causes. But he's, he's commending them for their patience, for their works, their good works. The book of Titus says, be diligent in good works. Be diligent. Let them be your ornaments. Every church needs to be adorned with good works, helping the poor, blessing the elderly, those who are disenfranchised. We were speaking on Friday night at a leaders meeting, you know, what can we do to reach out to immigrants? The, God loves them. Throughout the Bible, it says. So we're starting a work in, in, in East Boston to reach out to them. But then he says, you cannot bear those who are evil. You cannot bear those who are evil. And, and he's speaking of those inside the church. And again, once again in Second Peter chapter 2, Peter is very clear that many will come into the church and begin to try to water down the word of God and, and to draw people away. Paul, same thing. He pled. He said, I, I, Acts chapter 20, I, I pled with you for... Uh, I pleaded with you for three years with tears that after I go, there's going to be people come in to, to turn you away. And Jesus said, beware of sheep in wool's clothing. A healthy body purges poison from its system. A healthy church, I learned this early on, has the courage to ask people in certain circumstances and or tell them, you're not welcome here anymore. A body that doesn't purge poison is a body that will die, doctors will tell you. But the temptation is just to do nothing oh man if I deal with this evil this this thing that's going on it's just going to stir up strife it's going to get people angry it's going to get misunderstood not this church church of Ephesus says you cannot bear those who are evil meaning he he dealt with them hey there you go very good. We, I patiently waited. I had patience. So the present, earth, uh, present church age would be the middle of verse 19, the things which are, which includes today, which, but also included back then. But then that last piece is where he says, and the things which take place after this, Begins at the rapture of the church, the beginning of the sorrows called the seven year of years of tribulation. That's what the remainder, chapter four on in Revelation, 
is about. Thank you, Sean. And then it goes on in verse 2, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. People will show up thinking, you know, reciting all their qualifications and, and this type of thing. And again, trying to, dry, trying to, to bring in new doctrine, new teachings contrary to uh, the Bible. But they, they tested them and said, no, I'm sorry. You guys need to bolt. Oh, but that's so unloving. No, it's not unloving. It's unloving to let them stick around and allow the body to be continued to, to, to destroyed by poison. And again, Paul said to this same church, Ephesus, that John is talking to now, I, for three years I warned you with tears after I leave, ravenous wolves, he said, are going to come. Well, they did a good job. I would say Paul, Paul was successful in his pleading. They remembered his tears. And as a result, this became a very healthy church in many ways for a long period of time. Verse 3, you persevered and have patience. I mention again the patience and have labored for my name's sake and you have not become weary. Actually, the church in Ephesus, you can read about it in church history. Very influential church for a long, long time. Well into the first and I think second centuries. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Now only two of these churches... And chapter 2 and 3 are, are going to be churches where there's only commendation by Jesus. Most of the churches, they have issues. And praise the Lord. You know, the Lord comes in. He exposes darkness. I just pray that for us, Lord. Expose it. Do the same thing with us here at Calvary Chapel in the city. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Tremendously active church, the book of Ephesus. Lots of works. Their doctrine was pure, but God's priority for us is always a love relationship with him. Always. It's always his priority for us. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Jeremiah chapter 2. Verse 2, he's, uh, God speaking in Israel, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the uh, Lord, the first fruits of his harvests. Sean, do you have that, my favorite, my second list, favorite list of all time? It's in the message, in the verses in red. There it is. It's my second favorite list. 
again, I mentioned this morning, I was so blessed. There was a couple who, for Christmas, the woman was so blessed by the verses and, and the teaching before Christmas on this that she gave her husband a bracelet with LB, yeah, no, no, with FMKSPGBL, and it's it's really obvious. It's it's it, the the letters. It's on a, like a brass bracelet, and uh, he's already had people say, "Hey, what's that about?" And he's able to tell them about. It. It's really cool. And then he bought one for her. Um, hers was like very feminine and, and, and nice jewel type. His was like a manly one. Uh, but uh, here's the deal. You should be loving more now than at any other time during your life. Did you hear me? I speak this to my own heart. According to this, Revelation 2 and this, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, you should be loving now more than any other time during your life. And I don't say that to condemn anyone. It's just, unfortunately, you know, even, even teachers I, I respect and I listen to, you know, I, I will hear sermons that, that sound like this from, again, guys I really respect, and, and you'll hear them, they'll be t- teaching on this verse or another verse, and they're like, you know, I don't know what happened, you know, when I was first saved, I, I witnessed to people, I worshipped, I... I love, I did all this stuff, and, and you know, I, I, need to, I need to get back to that place. We need to get back to that place. And then a year later, I'll hear the same guy say the exact same thing. And again, these, these are men I love and respect, and I still continue to, to listen to them. And then two years later, same thing. And then over a period of years, it's, it, they say it over, you know, over a period of years, it's almost like once every year. They're saying the same thing. I really, you know, there's no excuse. I need to get back to where I was when I first met Jesus and I loved him and I worshiped him. Well, look, you should be loving more. I should be loving more now than at any other time during your, during my Christian life. And the beauty of the word of God is, Second Peter 1.3, God's given everything we need for a life in godliness. And to climb up this, to climb up, climb up this ladder. I say climb up, not, not, not really to, that it's, it's a human effort, but it is the grace of God. And the apostle Peter does say, right before reciting these verse, verses, he says, with all your might. <laughs> Add to your faith, moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. But I do love the grace here. But he, he does say, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Just go back, just start again. Look, grace covers The blood of Jesus covers your past. But I'm telling you, you need to repent. I'm telling you that. Or else, unless you repent, if you don't, I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. You know what that means? He removes his presence. 
he said, I'm in the midst of the lampstands. A church that does not love is a church that the presence of God is not there. We should never get so arrogant and prideful that we conclude that, well, surely, surely God would never leave us. I mean, if Jesus came into Logan Airport, man, he got up, he would be doing a beeline to Calvary Chapel in the city, of course. No. We should never assume that. We, we, we need to have a healthy fear of God. We need to love. We need to pursue love. One of the things I really appreciate about Pastor Scott, he, 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 he's always challenging me to, to love. No matter who it is, you know, that, that may be causing problems, coming against us or the church or wherever, how do we love? How do we love this person? 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love. 1 Corinthians 13, you can have all the knowledge, the mysteries, the prophecies in the world. Without love, you're nothing. Love. (laughs) Verse 6, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Bless you. Which I also hate. Eek, Jesus hates something. I thought he's like the love guy. He doesn't hate anything. Oh, no, no. He hates something. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Now, really the whole book of Revelation, there's, there's differing opinions on, on, on what things are. But the, the Greek word nico means priesthood. Laos means common, like laity, common people. And it is believed by many scholars that the deeds of the Nicolaitans, it's, a, it's really a religious system. It's the establishment of a spiritual hierarchy whereby man is placed between you and God. Why does Jesus hate it? Because man, he went through some serious pain on the cross in order to abolish that practice of having a man between men, women, and God. The veil of the temple was split open when he died. Is it any wonder that he hates this? He died to have a personal relationship with you. He doesn't want a man or woman Getting in between you and the Lord, that was the priest, the priestly system of the Old Testament. You had to go through a priest. And already at this time, there was a system in place. No, you have to come to me in order to get access to God. A system of priests. If you want to confess, you have to go to a priest. And they would do things like they started quoting Second Peter chapter 1, where it says no scripture is of private interpretation. You see? You can't interpret the Bible on your own. No, you have to go through me. 
twisting, perversion of that verse. It's not what it means at all. Today, there are religious systems, cults. Some of the folks in our church were very damaged by them. You want to talk, you want to get married, I need to give the approval. I need to have the veto power. You want to take a job at this company, you better come by me. You know, in our church, look, we always, we're willing to give advice, but we always say, look, this may not be the Lord. Ultimately, you need to do, this is between you and the Lord. The deeds of the Nicolaitans you hate, and he commends them for it. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Interesting that Adam and Eve were told there was only one tree in the Garden of Eden that they could not eat from. It was the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil in the midst of the garden. They were never told they were not allowed to eat from the tree of life. They were never told that. They could have. And then when they sinned, when they decided that they didn't want God as their authority, they wanted me, Adam, me, Eve as their authority, and they were cast out. Remember, the tree of life was guarded. But it says, to him who overcomes, and God, by the way, promises that a believer in Christ will overcome. I will give to eat from the tree of life. And ultimately, this is Jesus, right? Jesus says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you cannot be my disciple. It's part of, it's, it's, it's feeding really off of him. Verse 8. And the angel of the church in Smyrna. Sephi and I used to live in Smyrna. Smyrna, Georgia. This is a different Smyrna, though. Smyrna is in Greece. And the angel of the church in Smyrna, right? Ah, before I go on, I just I did I, I did want to mention this about Revelation uh, chapters two and three. There are many who believe that each church represents a church age, and for example, the book of uh, the church in Ephesus. So the, this letter to the church of Ephesus, that church represents the church up until the death of the apostles. And so each church re- represents an age of the church. The church in Smyrna represents the church of the second and third centuries. And then the church of Pergamos, uh, verse 12, represents the church in the fourth, fifth, and sixth centuries, and so on and so forth. You know, I, I'm a little skeptical on that, but I think it's worth mentioning that as we go along. So I am going to do that. Um, the Church of Smyrna, it's just a fantastic church. Now, 
the, there are, again, scholars who feel like it, it represents the churches of the second and third century, reason being tremendous amount of persecution at that time. Some estimate six million Christians died uh, during the second and third century. Just incredible persecution. This is prior to Constantine making Christianity the official uh, religion of the empire. Incredible amount of persecution. And indeed, you'll, as you'll see in here, in this, um, in these verses, there was a, a there, this church was subject to a, a lot of persecution. So, uh, no doubt, though, as well, at the time of John, there was also persecution already taking place. And I do believe that this, all these churches were were currently existing at the time. But there are scholars that say, well, in addition to that, though, you can actually see each of these churches sort of throughout history. And so for what it's worth, I, I'm going to be mentioning that as, as, we, as we go along. It says again in verse 8, These things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. There is such a spotlight on churches who have a lot of dough, who have a lot of money, who have a lot of power. You know, it's interesting that there are seven churches here, and one of them did have a lot of dough, a lot of money, the church in Ephesus, but at least a couple of them, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Philadelphia, the church there, the two churches that they really, really commend appear to be smaller churches. Philadelphia, they don't even know where it was. It was just a very small community of believers somewhere. They think it was just out in the sticks somewhere. No one knew about them. Their church pastor was not being invited to the pastor's conferences in Greece or in the Mediterranean. But they were faithfully serving the Lord. Now, I just love being a pastor up here in New England. I go to the New England Pastors Conferences. There's a lot of guys it, it just faithfully for 10, 20 years pastoring churches of 20 people or less. That is, I can't even imagine the rewards these guys are getting. They're so humbled. They're so broken. I love being around them. And, you know, I, I go over and over and over again. I think of and you guys have, have heard me say this, but I, I just think of, of, of the woman with an alabaster jar breaking the, the jar, the perfume. It's worth so much money. How do we do that today? Just f- the answer is this. Faithfully serve wherever God has you. And if it's in an obscure place, man, it's like that alabaster jar. It just blesses his heart. These two churches, Smyrna, Smyrna and Philadelphia, so blessed his heart that they're two-sevenths of the real estate in chapters two and three of, of Revelation. I know your poverty. I know your tribulation. There's the un- undergoing a lot of persecution. Man, 
I, I hate the thought of being persecuted, but I know throughout history in the Bible, it, it really does say that it, it produces a wonderful and a sweet worship and humility. Don't you want that? You can, oh, we're not, not too much, please, Lord. We do need to be desiring everything the Lord has for us. And if it's, there's persecution there, okay, Lord. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, ugh, this doesn't sound like my Jesus. It's an expression that I hear from time to time. How can my Jesus say something like that? Well, he did. In fact, he said something even more intense. In John chapter 8, verse 37... And this is what I think it's a reference to. He was speaking to the Pharisees, and he said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father. That's quite a statement. I speak what I have seen with my father. And you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Oh my, where's he headed with this? This is not going to be pretty. No, 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 no. Then they said to him, you were not born of fornication. We have, we were not born of fornication. In other words, that was an, you know, an insinuation that he was born by a union out of wedlock. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You of, are of your father, the devil." And the desires of your father you want to do. Oh my. So in verse 9, he tells the church at Smyrna, I know the blasphemy of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. He's referring to, to pharisaical type people who would be showing up in these churches. They called themselves Jews, but they were not Jews. They were of the synagogue of Satan. They were bastardizing the doctrine of grace, which is from cover to cover. They were wanting to place, replace grace with bondage, the bondage of the law. Verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer, Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. Again, the Bible promises that Jesus is the captain of our salvation. And he will lead us. Here the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Because of his faithfulness, because he's the captain of our salvation, as Christians, as some people who have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we 
We will be faithful to death. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 11, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, there are some who have ears. They At least they look like ears, but man, you can sit in front of them. You can show them the word of God. You can stand on your, their head, and it doesn't matter. They are not going to receive what you have to say. And that's what Jesus means here when he says he who has an ear meaning people who really want to receive the truth he who over verse 12 he continued well verse 11 finishes up he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death verse 12 and to the angel of the church of Pergamos Right. These things, says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Remember we saw in chapter 1, there's the imagery of the sharp two-edged sword coming out of Jesus' mouth. It's not literal. It's speaking of the word of judgment. Jesus is a judge. This is the revelation, chapter 1, verse 1, of Jesus Christ. He is a judge. Verse 13, I know your works and where you dwell. Where Satan's throne is and you hold fast to my name. So he's commending them. And did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Oh my, twice in one day. We're also talking about Balaam this morning in Second Peter chapter 2. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So, again, there was, this was a, a church of, that was doing good works, and they were holding fast to his name. They did not deny him. They were persevering, but they were guilty of the sin, saying some of you hold to the doctrine of Balaam. And what is the doctrine of, of Balaam? Well, again, we were in this this morning in Second Peter chapter 2, Balaam hired by Balak to curse the children of Israel, but every time he opened his mouth, a blessing came out. And I, I can't even tell you how much that account in Numbers encourages me. It, it just means to me that no matter what the external enemies may be and how many people are coming against the church or whatever, 
I will prevail if I just stay faithful to the word of God. But again, Balaam, after that failed, trying to curse him from without, he told them, he told Balak, listen, send your women into their camp, the camp of Israel. And if you look at Numbers 25, it was not only sexual immorality, it was it was idolatry. They, they, the, the women were drawing them into some kind of pagan altars and, and stuff like that to, to worship there. So it is believed that this is uh, the, uh, the doctrine of Balaam is really talking, uh, you know, not only the whole idea of sort of sexual immorality being okay, don't worry about it, but, but idolatry and specifically, again, to those who think this represents a, a church age in the third and fourth centuries, idol worship really got started where you started worshiping images, images of Jesus or images of Mary or images of the saints. It really started going in the third and fourth century. And there were some who were holding on to that. And then it says, verse verse 15, thus you have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. So in this church, unlike the church in Ephesus, there were those who said, look, you want to hear from God? You need to come to me to hear from God. And we need to, particularly those of us who disciple, we need to be very, very careful to a very light hand on the people that we disciple. And never, in, in, in fact, sometimes, you know, folks who come to me, I said, look, you need to get with the Lord to decide this thing. And there are certain times I just get uncomfortable. And people are just seeking out advice and they just want direction because they don't want to take the time to seek the Lord on their own. Verse 16 says, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Now, remember that manna was given by God to the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. Right up to the time, I think, that they got over the Jordan into Gilgal, and then it stopped. But uh, the hidden manna, really a reference to um, just that sweet, wonderful time with the Word of God, where we just can chew and meditate and, and be blessed by the Word of God. And it's just a blessing that God, uh, the Lord offers. And he says, I will give him a white stone. And on the stone, a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And of course, there's lots of commentary. What is a white stone? I, uh, one of the things, apparently, uh, a white stone is uh, what's given in a court of law to someone in the past that represents acquittal, me- meaning you're, you're free, you're innocent. Um, but some say, well, it doesn't mean anything at all. What the significance here is that a new name is written on it. And remember in the uh, Old Testament, in the Pentateuch, book of Exodus, the high priest's breastplate is adorned with stones. And on each stone, there is a name of one of the sons of Jacob. And it represents 
uh, and, and, and here there's just this blessing that you're going to be given a new name. So, hey, you may have a new name in heaven. Verse 18, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira. Now, some believe uh, this is sixth century onward and is a reference to the uh, church age uh, of the introduction of the, the Roman Catholic system. Again, we don't know. We do know that there was a church called Thyatira at the time of the writing of this letter. These things says the Son of God who has his eyes like a flame of fire. And his feet like fine brass. Now we remember from chapter 1, same thing about brass. Brass represents judgment in the Bible. The altar on which the burnt offerings were offered was... Bronze, brass. Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. As for your works, the last are more than the first, certainly. If it's true that this does represent the Catholic Church, you go back through history, some of the works, some of the things these brothers did were unbelievable. The jungles they went to, opening up the Far East, some of the works they did were extraordinary. Nevertheless, I have this thing against you because you allow the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants and to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So the reference here really to not to actual sexual immorality, but to spiritual fornication where there's just an increase in idolatry. And by the way, chapter 3, verse 1, Sardis, to those scholars, they, they believe it represents the Protestant church, and there's nothing good said about that, that church. So um, this is not Catholic bashing here. This is just, you know, all, like I said before, we want to know, Lord, tell us. At Calvary Chapel in the city, if you have a word for us, Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into the great tribulation. And so a reference to the Catholic Church is going to exist right up into the time of the great tribulation. That can't be said of the Church of Ephesus. That church did not endure unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the mind and hearts, and I will give to each one according to her work. So judgment again here. Now, do I, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not know, known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. But hold fast what you have what you have until I come. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give the power over the nations. So that may be, it may actually be a, a reference to believers in the millennial age having 
exercising authority after Jesus' return. Verse, in verse 27 is a reference to Psalm 2, which is direct reference to Jesus' return. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel. I have also received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. We also read that same phrase in 2 Peter 1.19. It's probably just that, 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 again, that reference to Christ dwelling in us. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So all these churches existed at the time. Some people think it also represents church ages. They certainly, the things that are said about these churches all exist uh, today in the year 2015 around the world. So just uh, real relevant to a um, to us, and I, I believe that's why in verse 3 of chapter 1 it says, blessed are those who keep those things or do the things which are written in it. Um, there's not a whole lot to do from chapter 4 onward. That's just a description of judgment. But in chapters 2 and 3, we're exhorted to, to do a bunch of things. And so, uh, blessed are you when you obey this word. Okay. So, in the last 15 minutes, we're going to worship the Lord again. Someone's going to come up for worship. Ritu, is that you? All right. We're going to turn the lights down a little, and what we do is we just uh, pray. So if you can separate into little groups of four and five, do that now, and I will lead us in prayer, using this as a springboard where we were today, and also... We have a ministry, the Voice of Martyrs, a specific man of God who's being persecuted even as we speak. I'm going to name him by name today, and we're going to pray for him. So if you could just separate into, or gather into groups of four and five, and I will return. If you need a, I will return to lead. If you need a, a token, there's tokens in the back. Okay.